it's good to be here. It is an honor to be a part of this. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a part of it since its inception about eight years ago when we began this uh, series of Passion Week services, and, uh, but always just got to either introduce or stand in the back and be a part of it. It's, it's indeed a privilege to stand before you now. I didn't realize what I was getting into when I agreed to do the Friday service. <laughs> it is uh, an amazing thing. It's also good to see so many of our Florida Boulevard folks here. I'm not used to seeing them so close. <laughs> Florida, Florida Boulevard generally all sits in the back. And we've got lots of room for people up front if you want to come visit with us sometime. But uh, let, me, uh, let me just start, shall we? If you have your Bibles, we're in Mark. I almost said Luke, but Florida Boulevard folks would understand that I've been preaching through Luke since I've been there, and still not done. We're in Mark chapter 15 beginning with the 22nd verse, and I like to ask people to stand in honor of reading God's Word. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read these verses? Mark chapter 15, beginning with the 22nd verse. Then they brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide which each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene the Mary, and Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, he came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate 
and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he was questioned. He questioned him as to whether he was already dead. In the ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for the power of your word, but thank you for the amazing sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we study your word today, our minds would always return to the love that you showed for us on that day. The only reason we can call it Good Friday. So, Father, speak to us today through your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, it's Friday. <clears throat> Everything that we've done this past week has been leading up to this day. From the anointing that Mary gave to Jesus, preparing him for his burial, to the uh, prayers of Jesus in the garden tomb that, that the cup might pass, the suffering that he was about to endure might pass, to the denial of Peter and the abandonment of the rest of his disciples, to the mock trial, the illegal trial before the high priest and before Pilate. All of that leads to this moment. But I would like to suggest to you that it's more than that. You see, I believe that all of history led to that moment. Some might say, oh, no, no, you're, you're forgetting Easter. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. You see, I believe that Easter never would have happened if Good Friday had not taken place. If Christ had not been obedient to God's command... Easter would not happen. So I believe everything points to this. If you read the Old Testament, the majority of the prophecies of the Messiah point to his suffering, point to his crucifixion, point to this day. And so I think it's appropriate that we gather on this day, that we see what Jesus endured for you and for me. It's important because, you see, I believe that Good Friday is a part of our life every day. There is a, a song that I love. The writer of that song fell out of favor because of his lifestyle choices, but he still wrote an amazing song. Even though the theology is a little bit wrong, it was Ray Bolt's song, Does He Still Feel the Nails? You remember that song? It, it, it amazed me. The first verse goes, Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Does he hear the crowds cry, Crucify again? 
And so that's why I think it's important for us to remember this day. Because you see, we live every day and we fail every day. And it was because of that failure that we came to this point in history. It was because of our sin that God decided at the creation of the world that this day would come. And so as we study this passage of Mark, we see three things about this day. First, we see that Jesus was mocked and abused. Secondly, we see that he was misunderstood and abandoned. Third, we see that he was mourned and he was buried. So let's see if we can break this out just a little bit as we, as we go through this passage of Scripture. It says, they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is the place of a skull. And then probably the only act of mercy that they ever attempted for our Lord and Savior was this one act, probably by a woman. Tradition says that there were Jewish women who attended these, these crucifixions, mainly to provide aid to those who were being crucified. Someone came, tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Myrrh was an anesthetic. It was not only a spice that was used for burial, but it was also an anesthetic taken orally. It was something to ease the pain of the person who was about to experience the most agonizing pain of his life. And it's interesting that this one act of mercy is refused by Jesus. He said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> he said, I need, I need to be totally aware. I need to be totally conscious of what I am doing and why I am doing it. He refused this one act of mercy, and from that moment on, the people began to mock and to criticize. It says they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide. Of course, that is fulfillment of the prophecy made in Psalm 22, verse 18 puts it this way. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. I think they'll find it uh, to show you on the screen. Psalm 22, verse 18, a psalm of David written years before, centuries before crucifixion ever came. In verse 18, he said, they divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. You see, Prophecy was being fulfilled even, even in that little bit of, uh, of an example. It seems inconsequential because that was a tradition. The Roman soldiers didn't get paid a whole lot. And those who had the crucifixion duty, it was customary that they got to divide. They got to keep the clothing, the spoils of, of their work. Kind of a disgusting habit as we think about it today, but it was common back then. They mocked him by dividing his clothes. They continued to mock him by the sign that was written on the cross. The king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. That was Pilate's way of primarily mocking the Jewish leaders because, you see, they would never acknowledge that Jesus was the king of the Jews, but it was also a way of mocking Christ himself. You're the king of the Jews. What kind of king hangs from a cross? Pilate was mocking him. 
the two robbers were mocking him, the one on his right and the one on his left. Luke is the, is the only one that shares the story of the, the one thief who, who comes to his senses and makes a profession. None of the others do. Mark certainly does not. But that was also to fulfill the scripture. He said those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. You know, in those days, wagging their heads was a sign of contempt, a sign of derision. Anybody wagged their heads, they were saying, this is, this is worthless. He said, you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from there. They did not understand in their mocking what the, the irony of what they were saying, that because that he was on the cross was the only way that he could provide any kind of salvation. The only way that anyone could be saved was because he refused to save himself. He refused to come down from that cross, yet mockingly they jeered at him and said, save yourself, come down. He was mocked by the crowd. He was mocked by the Pharisees and the leaders. You know, he's, he's still mocked today. People still do not recognize today that Christ, the king of the world, would take his place on the cross. About 10 or 15 years ago, there was a, what was called a, a Jesus movement, and the attempt was to remove all references to death and blood in the discussion of Jesus Christ. They thought that was too gruesome, too gory, and totally unnecessary for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me suggest to you that that is in itself mocking Christ and the reason that he was on the cross. That in itself denies who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. You see, it had to take place. And it had to take place exactly when it did and where it did. Everything pointed to his mocking. Isaiah 53, you're familiar with that passage. Verse 3 says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid, hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. was all part of the mocking. Back then, he's mocked today. Even in this country of ours that we call a Christian nation, yet we deny who Christ is. Uh, It's amazing when I go on campus, even today, and talk to many of the students, they, they couldn't explain to you the story of the resurrection. They, they can't explain to you who Jesus Christ is. And these are college students. These are people who deny the cross, deny Jesus Christ. And in so doing, they mock what he has done for us. We are living in an age right now in this country where an entire generation has been raised without the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And as his disciples, we should be 
we should be mourning that fact. He was mocked. But then I think the most important part of the story was he was, he was misunderstood. Look at, look at verse 33. It says, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. An amazing thing. The sixth hour, according to Jewish recognition of time, that would be 12 noon, straight up noon, the sun at its zenith, and, and yet darkness fell over the land and remained dark for three hours. People have tried for centuries to try to explain away what happened here. They try to explain away that, well, this was just a, uh, this was just a total solar eclipse. The sun was blocked out, but they don't understand that, that the Passover took place during the new moon, not during the time when a solar eclipse could even take place, so it didn't happen. And even if it was a solar eclipse, if it happened at that time, that would have been a miracle as well. But it was total darkness. People misunderstood why it was there, why the writers of the gospel had to explain total darkness in the midst of this crucifixion. I think it's easily explained. You see, I believe it was at the, the sixth hour, the third hour of his crucifixion. God said, I will not let people look any longer. As I pour out my wrath on my son, I will not let them see how awful that is. They will just understand. And I believe that it was at that time also that God turned his back. That God could not look at his son who was taking on sin. For the people who were standing there and mocking him. How could they how could they bear to look for three hours, total darkness, for three hours, Christ bore the wrath of God. And yet We seem to think that it makes no difference in our lives today. We, we refuse to let that fact impact us. If you question that, just, just go see all of, the, all of the traffic on Good Friday. See who's not in church on Easter Sunday morning. The world still rejects because they misunderstood. My wife and I and several here just, just came back from a trip to Israel. We had a wonderful young guide who was 
uh, been guiding people through the Holy Land for 10 years, and he knew Scripture, but he was an Orthodox Jew. And while he took us to places like Golgotha, and he took us to places like uh, Bethlehem, and he took us to places like Nazareth where Jesus was raised, and he would take us to the Mount of Beatitudes on the Sea of Galilee, all of those things that had such an impact on Christianity. He still refused to believe that Jesus was any more than a good man, a great teacher. And that is exactly where we are today. That is why things like this are so important for us today that we're reminded yet again of the awful price that Jesus paid. We cannot afford to misunderstand as the people did then. We simply cannot do it. And then, and then at the end of those three hours, Jesus even, his very own words were misunderstood because he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Again, a quote directly from Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Again, David penned those words hundreds of years before Christ hung on the cross. My God, my God. But even that, with the understanding of Scripture, I mean, they're still talking about the priests and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were still hanging around there. They did not understand what he was saying. They said, look, he's calling for Elijah. They did understand that Elijah had to come first, that Elijah was going to come and, and prepare the way for the Messiah. And so once again, they misunderstood what he's saying, and they're saying he's calling for Elijah, he's going to come. Maybe he thinks he's going to come and pull him down from that cross. He saved others, he cannot save himself. They misunderstood again. He cannot save himself. They wanted to see him come down from that cross. They wanted to see so that they might believe. But so many things they'd already seen and refused to believe. They would not, could not understand. They brought him wine to drink. And then they said, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. <laughs> let us see again. We always have to see. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they see it. They still refuse to believe because they did not understand the plan of God. So he was mocked. He was misunderstood. Through the darkness, through his words, and through the veil of the temple. It's fascinating that as he died, all of the gospel writers talk about the veil of the temple being rent from top to bottom. 
Did you ever think about what was going on in the temple at the moment that that, that veil was torn in two? You understand that at that very moment they were making sacrifices for the Passover. At that very moment, they were putting lambs on the altar. They were burning them with fire. And then suddenly the veil is torn in two. You can imagine the priest's surprise as they start looking around and they see this veil come down. What an amazing thing. They misunderstood the importance of the veil. You see, they thought the veil was there to protect them and to to keep people from seeing what God was doing, to see the Holy of Holies. But when they tore that veil, they thought it was just simply the the results of an earthquake. They thought it was the results of perhaps faulty material. I don't know. But they tore it down. This place where for thousands of years, this day was being rehearsed false altars with false lambs. And the one day that the real lamb was being sacrificed, their false faith was being revealed. As Christ opened the way to the Holy of Holies, ended the sacrificial system, the need for Christ, for for others to to present lambs on an altar. Christ took care of that. He rent that veil in two, says no more. We need no more sacrifice. They couldn't understand it, but do we? And finally, he was mourned. Interestingly, he was mourned first by the centurion. In verse 39, the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, this man was the son of God. I don't understand how he might have, how he might have come to that conclusion. Certainly, he'd seen thousands of men die this way. Certainly, he'd, he'd experienced crucifixion over and over and over again. But something about this changed his mind. Perhaps he was, perhaps he was part of the cohort that brought Christ to, to the uh, chief priest's house and watched as he was ridiculed in the chief priest's house. Perhaps he was in the presence of Christ was Pilate was examining him and he heard all of the words that, that Christ was saying and the things that he was remaining silent about. And he saw the way he responded to those mock trials. And then and he saw the way he died. You understand that it was this Roman centurion who was the first person in Scripture the first human being to refer to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. An amazing thing. And I believe that when he saw him die, a piece of that centurion died with him. He began to mourn over that fact, was amazed at that fact. And then Mark reports that there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph's. And Salome. 
Mary Magdalene's mentioned 11 times in Scripture. We all know who she was, a follower of Jesus Christ, had demons cast out from her, seven demons. Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph, though, don't know too much about it. James the Less was probably one of Jesus' apostles. And Salome was probably the mother of James and John. These were the ladies who were following Jesus Christ. Can you even think what must have been going through their minds? This rabbi, this teacher, this great man that they had been following for years, having such amazing expectations for, is now dead on the cross. What must be going through their minds? What must it mean to their world now as this one that they love is dead. They ministered to him. And now he's gone. Their hearts are broken. Their minds are at sea. The other who mourned was Joseph of Arimathea. His is an interesting condition, you see, because they say he's a member of the council. They don't know if he was a member of the main Sanhedrin there in in Jerusalem or whether a minor one where he came from in Arimathea. They don't know. But he was a man of influence. Like Nicodemus, he was one who was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he saw what was needed. And in the midst of his grief, he decided he would take matters into his own hand. And at great personal risk, he decided to go to Pilate and ask for the body that he might take him down and provide what was an appropriate burial for this man that meant so much. He took him down. He wrapped him in linen. And he laid him in an unused tomb. In his mourning, he was able to accomplish what was necessary. But Joseph is interesting in that for so long, he'd kept his understanding of Jesus quiet. Like Nicodemus, he probably was at that council meeting when Christ was on trial before the chief priest, and he said nothing. He didn't stand up and defend him. He didn't shout down the the accusations of those false witnesses that Preston talked about yesterday. He, He didn't do any of that. He remained silent. But finally, he could take no more. He said, I will. I will. Take this risk. Go to Pilate and get his body. And he did that. A very simple procedure, probably bathed the body, anointed it with spices and oils, wrapped it in a linen cloth, placed him in a tomb. And then 
they rolled the stone over the tomb. The mourning was intense. The grief was palpable. And that's how Friday ends. People at a loss. People not knowing where to go or what to do. Sunday's coming. They didn't know that. <laughs> oh, they'd heard Jesus teach over and over again. He must be given over to men to die. But on the third day, he will arise again. Amen. So as we consider this Good Friday, as we consider the amazing thing that Christ accomplished for us, that we, unlike those mourners there, we can leave with the knowledge, with the certainty that Sunday's coming. And on that day, we can rejoice. And I pray that you will be part of those who are rejoicing on Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the fact and the truth of Friday. I thank you that you chose not to come down from that cross. For, Father, because of that, we can rejoice on Sunday. So, Father, as we leave this place today, let us be reminded again. It was our sin that put you there. It was our shame and punishment that you took. Only because you loved us so much. Father, may we be a reflection of that love in this lost and dying world. Lord, may we be your witnesses this week and throughout the weeks as we share the love of Good Friday. For we ask it in Jesus' name.